Hey, everybody out there. Hey, as you guys know, our entire family are baseball nuts. My son, who's 16, can tell you virtually every stat from every active MLB player today and also people that are in their AAA and AA teams. And I got an email that Coach Dana Cavalia would love to come on and share with you guys. And so, Dana, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. So a little bit of background. Uh, you were the director of performance for the New York Yankees. Um, you led the team to the World Championship 2009. You've been a key part in really keeping people physically, mentally strong enough to endure the rigors of professional sports. And something I, you know that I think is, you know, having been an athlete myself, if I look at the modern day business climate, right? And if we look at the pressures and the noise and trying to develop people, man, I got to tell you, it takes a lot of that same, you know, those strategies and techniques to bring out performance. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. And also I asked a good friend of mine, Keith Wall, to join us on the podcast. Keith, uh, welcome here as my co-host today. John, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So Keith is the varsity baseball coach for Valor Christian High School. Uh, where my son goes. He's also the softball coach. He's led the team. He moved us from 4A to 5A because you kept winning state championships in 4A so much. Everybody got sick of that and said, okay, we're going to throw you in 5A so you can't beat us. Well, guess what? We're beating them there too. Because what I love about what Keith and all their coaches do, I think you see your primary job not to go win games and develop a great sports program, but your first job is to disciple the young men and women that are on your teams. Is that correct, Keith? That's absolutely right. And we're trying to, we're trying to prepare tomorrow's leaders to transform the world for Christ. And that's the vision of the school. And our baseball program is just a part of that. And we will just accept uh, humbly God's blessing uh, in whatever we do as we disciple these young men and young women now. Yeah. And so I've seen that, you know, across, right? When we really focus on developing the individual to be their best, then they can actually have an influence and help people around them develop to become their best. Then you have a team, then you have an organization that has so much resiliency, so much health, so much strength that they can actually accomplish incredible things. So with that, Dana, I'd love for you to kind of share your journey from where you started, go back as far as you want, you're yeah. becoming the performance coach on the Yankees. That's a big deal, man. Yeah, no, I, listen, I, I started at that gig at, at 19 years old. So I uh, started early. And uh, what got me there was realizing very quickly that I didn't have the talents to make it to the big leagues myself. I played a year in college, actually, at a school in Queens, New York, Queens College. And I realized that as much as I loved playing baseball, I didn't have the talent to go to the next level. So I decided to leave New York and actually go to Florida, to the University of South Florida in Tampa, and really get my feet wet in an environment that was filled with sports and competitive athletes. So I started, uh, I went to school for sports medicine, and uh, I started interning with the football team at the University of South Florida. And at the time, I knew nothing. You know, it was just a great opportunity to get out of New York, get out of the cold weather, and learn, you know, how do high performers develop themselves physically and mentally. So I was in that environment. I got to see it live. And, you know, I decided to come to Tampa because I knew that the Yankees have spring training down here every year. So here it was one February day. And 
I was happened to be off from school, off from my internship at uh, the University of South Florida with the football team. So I went over to the stadium. You know, I had my old flip phone taking pictures through a chain link fence of all the players from, you know, Derek Jeter, Mariano Rivera, Andy Pettit, Roger Clemens, these amazing players. And I'm taking these pictures and I'm sending them home. You know, hey, you know, isn't it a great day? Look at these players, bam, bam, bam. And I literally that day I went back to my internship at the school in the afternoon. And uh, the head strength coach calls me in his office and he says, hey, Dana, I'd love to talk to you. Listen, I got a call from the head strength coach with the Yankees. And he wants to know if we have anybody here that would basically have interest in handing out water, handing out towels, and watching the weight room while he's on the field. Would you have any interest in that? And I said, man, I'll be there. When do you need me there? He's like, well, you start tomorrow. So the next day I I drive my hoopty beat up car up to that stadium. I park right up front. The day before I parked about a mile and a half away because I couldn't afford parking. And um, they walked me. I, right. I, I got. I love the term hoopty beat up car, man. Yeah, I can just yeah, see I, you just driving along with this giant smile on your face, like, oh my goodness. Yeah, I knew I, had, I knew that I had an amazing opportunity. And when I walked in the office that day, they said, "Hey, are you coach? Are you Dana Cavalier?" I said, "Yeah." And they threw a lanyard around my neck with a credential. It said C for clubhouse, F for field access. They threw me in Yankee gear. And next thing you know, that field I was taking a picture of a day earlier, here I am now standing in the middle of it, watching these players. I could still put myself in that position uh, today to kind of those feelings and those emotions. And um, really, I, I, I had a conversation with myself that day. And I said, hey, in this moment, your life could potentially change forever. And um, luckily it did. And I continued to intern with the Yanks. And then about a year later, uh, two years later, I became the head strength coach with the Yankees. And what was your journey really, you know, from that start, right? I mean, coming out of college, being an internship to kind of moving to a place where you were a, I mean, a trusted advisor is too weak of a word, right? I mean, some of these greats who you were taking pictures of. Yeah. Right. Uh, We're coming to you to say, Dana, hey, how do I fix this problem? Hey, how do I get better? How do I, you know, achieve some of these goals? And at that level, the performance that's required to even keep your job, the pressure that's on these guys is something a lot of us can't relate to. Yeah. When you when you play for money, it's a very different game. It's a very different game in that, um, you know, these guys, their livelihood depends on this. You know, it's, uh, they get a very short earning period. So as you're coaching them, you have to be very aware of that. You can't just throw things out there and try different things. Um, although there is some experimentation, you got to realize, I say, you know, I have friends that were working at local gyms. For me, I was basically learning um, on Ferraris for a living. You know, what works, what doesn't work, you know, both physically and, and on the mental side. But um, I, I will be honest and say I was very unprepared, you know, to be where I was. I got a great opportunity and I realized that I had to learn very quickly. But the one thing I did know, and this could be, you know, growing up in New York around, you know, the Italian table is, you know, conversation, relationships, dialogue, and exchange is a really fast way to build rapport with people. And I knew that if I can get these guys to know me, like me, trust me, they'll give me an opportunity to learn with them and learn from them and learn alongside them. And that's what happened. Yeah, Dana, I want to jump in on that. In your book, you talk about the importance of serving others and the importance of hitting a single. So yeah. when you're 
in there, in the clubhouse, and you're developing over just a couple of years and becoming the performance guy in that clubhouse, what were the intentional ways you would try to serve people? And what were those singles that you were trying to hit with them? Was it all just based in relationship? Is that really where it was? Yeah, uh, for me, it, it still is. You know, it starts and ends with the relationship. And I realized that that's what most people want. They want a relationship. They want companionship. They want to make sure that they're going in the right direction and doing the right thing. They're looking for that sort of validation of path and journey. So I, I realized that I could make up for what I didn't have in terms of tangible skills, the X's and O's and strategy of my craft by connecting with them at a level that most people weren't taking the time to connect with. And also too, you're, you're dealing with these pro athletes that are usually getting taken advantage of in many different ways off the field, you know, whether it's financially or relationships they're being abused in or, or used for. And for me, I didn't have those intentions. It was, Hey, if I can give you whatever you need, you know, if I'm capable of giving it to you, I'm going to do my best to do that and serve you in that way. Um, what I can't, I'll give you a recommendation for. But ultimately, if you need something, I want you to know that my handshake and my word are oak. Whatever you need, you let me know and I'll do my best to get that done for you. That's awesome. And I just did that one player after the next, year after year. And every day, multiple times a day, I'd ask people not just how are you doing, but how are you feeling? Mm. And not just allow, allow them to say, good, I'm all right, but go a little bit deeper. That's the care part, right? That's the yeah. service part. Yeah. Did it take you a while to build different levels of trust with different guys using that relationship? Did, did it take some time with, it, with different people? And Totally. But it took probably the most time for me to build that with myself, mm. right? You know, trust myself and also have the confidence. You know, again, I'm 19 years old. I'm two years out of high school. And here's Derek Jeter. You know, I was buying his sneakers as a kid. And now I'm basically tying them for him. So I had that learning curve for myself. But uh, very simply, I, I realized that, you know, they were great guys and they were very welcoming. And it was almost as if the bigger the star, the better they were, you know, in terms of they were easy to deal with. And, and it's uh, sometimes these superstars get a really interesting stigma, but they're down to earth for the most part, my experience. You know, two really huge points in there, I think, for people to take away, uh, Dana. The first one, and it's authentic, is you're taking a sincere interest in other people. And mm -hmm. it's something you're doing daily. You know, Keith, when you say hitting singles. And if I think about, right, doing that with our kids, doing that as a coach with our athletes, and at work, right, doing that with people around us. I got to tell you, there's so many organizations I go into, and uh, there's almost like this mindset that I don't see my work colleagues as either my friends or kind of part of my social fabric. There's like the separation. And I think that is such a huge mistake because it's such a big part of our life. And then the other thing that you said that I think is really important is, you know what, some of these people that we put on a pedestal are actually some of the greatest folks and you love being with them. And they're actually a lot more approachable because something I want to talk about leadership is how to ask for mentorship. But, you know, question for you, you know, as you were in that, and as you work with both athletes and also now with companies and organizations, what advice would you give that you've seen that works of actually bringing out this concept of hitting a single every day, you know, out into their world? Hmm. I think the biggest thing is knowing what are you there for and what are you there to actually do and accomplish? And I just got off a call. I was talking with a young man that 
he doesn't have clarity, right? It's mm-hmm. not coming down from the top. I said, how do you, how do you have success in your position? Do you know what the success metrics are? Do you know what you're supposed to do? And he said, I really don't. But he didn't also have the confidence to ask what they are because they weren't told. That's really what I believe. So Dana, on your journey, how did you arrive? You mentioned in the first part of your book how you get to a why, a driving purpose for your life. Was that a long process for you? Was it a light bulb moment? How did it all come together for you? Well, for me, I'm very a big believer in, in gut and instincts. I think, you know, if you trust your compass, you know, somebody's putting that there for you. It's up to you to be quiet enough and still enough to hear it and feel it. Mm-hmm. And I believe that you can't manufacture purpose in between your ears. It's almost uh, as if it's a seed inside of you and, and it's your job to water it and nurture it and it'll, it'll grow and it'll navigate you towards where it is you're supposed to go. And um, what I also realized, too, is if you could free yourself from trying to understand everything and actually allow yourself to move through your process without trying to over-navigate the ship, you'll end up going where it is that you're supposed to go. That's really good. Um, There's a really interesting teaching that I've heard from the book of Genesis where we sit there and we are allowed to eat from the tree of life but we're not supposed to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it's similar to what you just said right there. Stop thinking so darn much and worry about the knowledge and just live life with one another. I really like how you said that. And I love how can't manufacture your purpose. So how did you go about watering that tree of your purpose every day? I, I think for me, I was just addicted to the feeling that I would get from doing good with the people I was working with. Right. So there was this, mm like give and take relationship, I'd give to them and it would give back to me. So what do I want to do? More of that. Mm. And that's really been my journey. You know, um, when it comes to working with companies and speaking and books and things like that, I've never been a great marketer, you know, buying Facebook ads and doing all this stuff. And every time I've ever tried to do anything like that, it's costed me a lot of money and it's blown up in my face and I've attracted the wrong customer. So I'm I glad I'm not alone, Dana. Yeah, I know you're not alone. So, <laughs> so I stopped all of that and I said, all right, let's get back to the basics. You know, wh- what is your gravity? What's the magnetism? And the magnetism always goes back to, you know, give people a great experience when they're around you, when they're with you. Take the time, listen, you know, build a relationship. And it's amazing when you put all that out there, people start to come and people are attracted to what it is that you're putting out there, you know, and, um, give first and worry about the receiving later. And I know this stuff sounds kind of, you know, well, that's great in theory, but you know, I have to pay my mortgage, you know, but it really does work. Mm -hmm. You know, it sounds, uh, Dana, you know, doing some of those things, right. Uh, you're having to be very intentional kind of in the moment. It sounds to me like you put a lot of thought into kind of either who you wanted to be, that leadership or that brand that you wanted to create about yourself or what did you wanted to be known for? Is is that fair? Because I'm I'm thinking about, right, you know, Keith and I are both, you know, fathers of, you know, young athletes that we're developing. You know, we also have members on our team, you know, we're running our companies. And what I'm seeing is this generation that really the Gen Zs, the Gen Ys, right? Uh, millennials, centennials, not a big fan of labels, but as they come in to organizations right now, there is definitely a difference in their 
level of, I think, ownership and pride in kind of what they do and how they interact with people. And I think that they don't have maybe a good grasp on kind of what you definitely worked through is that who's that person I want to be known for? Like, what are some of those guiding values and principles? And what's your thoughts on what it takes to develop that in someone? Yeah, I think it's really interesting that you say that because, you know, one of the big terms that's arrived or, you know, is, is the word influencer, right? We're in the era and the age of the influencer. So if there's this radical, um, I guess, presence of influencers out there, that would mean there's even more people that need to be influenced. And I think that's what we see is, is we see a lot of people searching today for validation of themselves and validation of what they're doing and where they're going and how they're doing it. And because they're searching for so much validation, they're not actually doing the things that are necessary to validate themselves, which is work and which is interaction and which is failing. So they're trying to take every course under the sun on how not to fail, but the growth and the success comes from the failures. The growth and the success comes from you know, at times doubting yourself, it comes from at times not following the pack most times and really going into some uncharted water that you may not have a navigation system for just yet, but trusting and knowing that at some point the sun will come up and the lights will turn on and you'll be in the right place. That takes a lot of self-confidence and it takes a lot of really moving away from the norms of the current world. And that's very difficult for people to do. So they get uh, very comfortable in validating each other, even though it's based on nothing. Yeah. I want to double down on that just a little bit because it's actually something we've talked about in our, in our coaches development where our athletes today don't understand that you move through failure to get to success where they kind of sit in this middle ground of being average and then they sit there and they go, well, I'm either a failure or a success. Hmm. They don't really understand how to work through that process. Now, in the first chapter of your book, you talk about how dark memories of the past keep diehard competitors hungry. So what were those moments for you that kept you hungry? Yeah, for, for me, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, it's, I got a chance to travel, you know, at the world's greatest hotels and, you know, had an unbelievable experience, you know, with the team. And um, it's funny because we'd land sometimes at midnight and the only thing to do if you wanted to eat was to go to the room service menu. Mm. And that thing might as well have been in the safe. And, you know, I didn't know the code because the way I was brought up was like, you wouldn't dare go near that menu. Mm. I mean, it was like, you know, my parents are both teachers, uh, retired now. But we were brought up in a very, you know, very conservative way. And, you know, I, uh, there was always talks of, you know, having enough money. There was always talks of, you know, how to save money and, you know, kind of playing defense, really, as opposed to offense. And that's kept me hungry, not just financially, but um, I wanted to challenge my own boundaries and challenge my own, I guess, socioeconomic values and the way I was brought up and see what I can do. And then what I can do with that and teach people, listen, how you are raised does not determine who you will be. You get a chance to have your own autonomy and decide that for yourself. That's really, really well said. Your environment really does allow for a lot of opportunity more than it does holding you back. 
And it really is a mindset, right? Yeah. You've got to be willing to engage in that time of hunger in order to get to success. Yeah. Yeah. I was just telling my wife yesterday, you know, for me, I was raised like uh, we saw a little girl yesterday raising some money for school supplies in the Bahamas. She had a little stand set up on the side of the street. Mm. I told my wife when we first got married, listen, we always stop for those kids, Mm. you know, whether they're selling lemonade, whether they're donating school supplies, whatever it is, because I was that kid. I was setting up the stands. My mother would say, you want that? Well, here's your choice. In the winter, you could shovel. You know, in the summer, you could pick weeds and mow lawns. You know, in the spring, you could do spring cleanup. But you, you will do something to learn how to generate income yeah. so you can get and do what you want. So that, that's where I came from. So I don't forget those days. I never forget how much I hated picking weeds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, my dad would say, John, you got to go weed the garden this weekend. Oh, my wow. gosh. I'd have a little teenage temper tantrum but yeah it didn't matter i had to go weed the garden two summers ago my father he's 70 now he dropped 20 yards of mulch in our court where i grew up. <laughs> I was just planning to go see them for the afternoon and he goes here's a shovel and a wheelbarrow for old time's sake you know <laughs> <laughs> thanks dad yeah exactly you know and part of it too i think is for people to help them to kind of reframe almost the question the circumstances because I'll never forget back uh, when I was first in the Navy, I was brand new. We were going into combat and I was asked to do a mission that I literally did not think I would be capable of, or if I did it, I couldn't do it well. And my mindset was that I'm going to fail, hmm. that I'm going to look stupid in front of my entire squadron and I'm going to get called out. It's going to be embarrassing. So I would rather avoid the situation than step into it. And my department head, who was lieutenant commander at the time, said he forced me into this stretch position, but he completely changed how I thought about it. He goes, listen, he goes, uh, my call sign back then was Rammer. He goes, hey, Rammer, there is not a success fail. He said, if you don't do well or you do do well, those are just two possible outcomes. But everything that we do here is designed to make us better to make us more effective, to make us better leaders. So listen, you need to go through this or you will never be prepared to do bigger and better things in the future. Yeah. And I got to tell you, so creating, I think, as a parent, a coach, a business leader, regardless of your position, a safe place for people that if they do fail, let's say they just blow it, to dive into that and say, okay, let's pull out a couple things here. What did you learn from that? Maybe what's one thing that you did well? Let's, let's kind of shift our mindset and our framing around that to pull things out that can help us get better. And, you know, this was highlighted. I'd, I'd love to run this by uh, Dana because a, a friend of mine is a performance coach and uh, he's worked with LeBron James and some other guys. And my son was in uh, playing baseball. This was about five years ago and he, he was not good, hmm. right? And I'm like, you know, hey, Jamie, how do I help my son? He's like, well, let me ask you a question. When he's coming off of the field after a game, what, what do you ask him? Well, what I would ask Matthew is, hey, how'd you hit? Right? How'd you pitch? He goes, well, you're the problem. I'm like, thanks, dude. <laughs> what do you mean? Uh-huh. He goes, you're immediately forcing your son to compare himself to everybody else. And that is one of the biggest performance killers. You have to teach him to learn how to compete with the best version of himself. So what he challenged me to do is when he was coming off the field, just say, hey, 
worst game ever, you know, walked three batters in a row by hitting them and he gets pulled. Right. And I'm, I'll remember the first time I did this cause he'd go into the dugout and he'd throw his helmet. And this time he got pulled from the pitching mound and he went into the dugout. He did not throw his helmet. He actually started encouraging the other guys. So I affirmed that and I asked him, what's one thing you did well? He goes, dad, I, man, I, nothing got past me at first base. Right. And I said, great. What did you learn today? Now, Jamie used to ask his, you know, people when he worked with them, they had to write down 10 things. And so I tried that with my 12 year old. That was a non-starter. So I said, why don't we just figure out one thing maybe you learned today? He started. But anyway, uh, at the end of that season, his team voted him MVP. So he went from bottom to the top just by changing how I interacted with him. That was really powerful to me. Now, this has been your world, Dan, and I'd love to know from you some of those, I think, maybe challenges that high performers have maybe with their mindsets or maybe how they're showing up and things that you've done to help them shift that to uh, a place where they can move into, you know, becoming that better version of themselves. Yeah, you know, they, they have the same issues that we all have with our mindsets, right? They can become, you know, negative. They could become lethargic, lazy, slow, lack of uh, creative thought, poor vision at times, right? They have all of those same thoughts. But where they differ from others is that those thoughts are very short-lived, right? So if the average person is here, they can be here with it. And it's simply because they understand that those thoughts do not serve ultimately what their goal is and where they want to go. So if you're thinking down and negative about yourself, it's not going to help you become, you know, that creature that you want to become or that, you know, leader champion that you want to become. So it seems like what they've done is they tie all their thoughts to a result. And they know that if they have a negative thought and they're looking for a positive result, they can't get there. Negative gets to negative. If you want a negative outcome, you'll hang on to the negative thought. So it's very hard also to hit a 95 mile an hour fastball when you're not in the peak confidence. So the guys have really worked hard to keep themselves in peak confidence. Now for me, I work as a physical coach along with the mental. So I tell them we train for confidence in the box. We train for confidence on the mound. That's why we train. You know, when I work with executives in finance, what traders, we're training for that same confidence in their sport. So it's really all about getting them to understand the connection between thoughts and outcomes and realizing the longer you hold on to a negative thought, the greater the chances of a poor outcome. And I kind of live there with these guys. And in baseball, I ask them, are you focused on seven or are you focused on three? Are you focused on the seven times you get out or are you focused on the three hits that you need to get to be a Hall of Famer? Mm. You'll be amazed at how many times people and how the mind naturally wants to shift towards seven and where it's even worse is what I call with high performer syndrome whether you're a high performer in business or a high performer in sport you are a high expectation person right so you're always putting pressure on yourself so you're going to hyper focus on the seven times you fail because you want to reduce that number so you become obsessed with it and that's where the danger comes in for that type A, high analytical, high performer, they become obsessed with fixing, finding results that they totally forget about the three great things they did. And keeping them shifting and flowing, much like a flowing train in a railway station, I got to keep them focused on this positive side of things. I call it a horizon line also, 
above the horizon line is all good, positive outcomes, positive things, you in a power position, below that line is negative, not doing well, weakness, slouch, poor postures. Yeah. So I'm constantly trying to keep them above the line. Dana, I love the idea of training for confidence and it's related to being, again, in your book, never too high, never too low. Do you buy into the idea and the quote that, I mean, I've said it to kids and it's fairly popular right now that you either win or you learn. It's not win or lose, it's win or learn. Do you buy into that or is dismissing the failure and dismissing losing not the right approach? Well, I, I think, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm still a traditionalist in terms of, yeah. you know, sports where I'm, I'm a little more hardcore than yeah. that. It's like, no, we did lose, but you know what? In sports you do lose mm -hmm. and it's okay because in, in life and the journey towards success, you also have failures. So I don't like to soften the reality. Yeah. I actually like to run towards it and mm -hmm. say, listen, let's talk about the loss. Like the example you know, that was used before. It's like why, you know, I was given this drill in the Navy and if I failed, I'd be embarrassed by, you know, everyone seeing me fail. Yep. And I'm like, are you actually not embarrassed of the loss or the failure? You're more embarrassed about how people are going to judge you, mm -hmm. which really comes back to empowering you as an individual and the person, right? Because what I found is when you're looking at great competitors in sports and business, the Derek Cheaters, the great Kobe Bryant, what did they have? They didn't care what you think. They needed zero, zero external validation. Mm. Players that are usually your lower tiered players, they need a ton of external validation. Mm. Those sort of high octane players, Mariano Rivera needed no external validation. That's interesting because uh, there's that concept, the, the FOPO, fear of other people's opinions. Yeah. And so your, your like working that. theory as you work with people is the highest level achievers have less of that FOPO than your lower level achievers. Is that fair? That, it's 100% fair. And I, I believe because they're not focused on other people's validation um, and situational validation, fan validation. They're working at a much higher frequency and they're more aligned with, with a much higher um, destination in mind. That's awesome. So Dana, what you're really talking about here is this sense of identity. I think about it from two ways because this is a, a journey I had to do was that person you see in the mirror, hmm. right? And then I, somebody asked me once, hey, what does God see when he looks down at you, right? If you look at, uh, you know, that we're Christ's perfect workmanship. And I think the bigger the gap between those two, Right. And we've all had these experiences in our lives, things that we've gone through our, you know, we've developed habits, we've developed mindsets, we've developed how we react in certain situations. And I think it's honestly closing that gap. These guys like you're talking about uh, Jeter and Kobe Bryant and people I know in business and in, in different spheres, they've closed that gap between their ideal self and their real self. And here's, here's something I want to throw out to you. Uh, we do a lot of work with, you know, new generations coming. So we just did a survey of a couple hundred people between 20 and 25 coming into the workplace. What came out of that survey, I got to tell you, was this, I would say 95% of these people have a severe misunderstanding of who they are. Their validation is coming externally. Yeah. 
Okay, so we have a big challenge. I think our generation, whether it's with athletes or people in business, is helping people close that gap. Because if we can help people do that, we can create winning teams regardless of our sphere. So what have you found with people you're working with? If you identify that, you know what, this is that problem there. All their validation is external. And I got to shift this for that person to get to their highest level of performance. What have you found that works in that? Yeah, well, a lot million of million dollar question. Answer this yeah. one, you'll never have to work again. But yeah, no, it's an interesting question. It's, <laughs> uh, you know, I think every person is is definitely unique, and um, I definitely work really hard to try to get them to get that snap out of it moment, right? And what I try to do is talk a lot about what's your day to day process and why is that your process, right? Mm. So I think you know, in relation to what you were just saying, you know, I believe when you're being looked down on right? What is often seen from the man upstairs is probably us working way too hard and trying to do way too much, right? And I think that's what most people today are suffering from, trying to do too much and they're working at a pace that's inauthentic to them. We all have a different pace. We all have different goals. We all have different objectives and we're all heading um, in a very unique direction. And when we lose our our authenticity and we lose the uniqueness of our own direction, we ultimately lose ourselves. So, you know, in regards to your question, I, I don't have an exact answer, to be honest with you. I don't really know. <laughs> I work to try to understand what is going on in between somebody's ears and why they think what they think. And what I try to do is really just bring their stress profile down so they can dip deeper into their intuitive profile and into their natural guidance system. As a coach, I don't give people answers. I never give answers. Nope. I provide the questions that will allow them to discover the answers for themselves. That way they own it. They came up with it. I didn't give it to you. Yep. Yep. And um, I never tell people what to do. That's not my game as yeah. a coach. Well, I think that's the most powerful way to influence people. Yeah. Yeah. And the, uh, you know, the word coach in the athletic world, it's really a newer term, but it stems from England and Oxford of having one person take another person to a higher level that they couldn't have mm -hmm. achieved themselves. Thinking back to the coaches, the horse-drawn carriages that they would once oh, have, okay. that's our job. And there's a personal story that you tell in the book that I love. And I know that John's going to have a follow-up story on this because this was something we talked about before you came on. You talk about people who have high levels of defensiveness. And the moment that Derek Jeter in the training room challenged you in a very personal way of helping you overcome your defensiveness. Can you take us back into that training room and talk about how he helped guide you to a higher level for yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I, well, I was in Detroit during the playoffs and I remember it was a cold rainy night and I was upstairs putting on like sweatshirts, sweatpants and all that to get ready for the game. And he was in uniform getting stretched out, getting his ankles taped. And um, he asked me a question. And I forgot what the exact question was, but I was snappy back at him mm. for whatever reason. And um, I just realized in that moment when he said to me, he goes, hey, you're defensive. He goes, you know, defensive is symbolic of insecurity. Mm. And I, I was totally taken back even more. Mm. You know, because again, it, it was definitely true. And I go back to, I say, hey man, I was 19 when I get st got started. I feel like I was, doing the whole fake it till you make it thing all the way till the end. 
but ultimately uh, he pointed something out that I didn't, I didn't see, right. He was a, a coach in that moment and that he pointed out a blind spot, you know, to me and it, and allow me to dig deeper and say, Hey, what the heck is going on? What was driving that? And honestly, it was just not feeling a hundred percent secure in myself, not just the position, right? Cause you know, you're year to year contracts, da, 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 da. but it was really security in myself at that time. Yeah. And it was me looking to external, you know, job validation, players validating you and all that instead of validating yourself mm. and me yeah. validating myself. So that's, that was that story. That's great. Well, you know, question for you, Dana, too, because in that moment, right, I think there's kind of two kinds of feedback. There's feedback we agree with. We might not like it, right, but we have to make a choice to process it. But there's also feedback we get because it's very, you know, different than how we see ourselves. We don't agree with it. We might choose to reject it. As a coach, you know, asking questions, but also giving that direct feedback for people to process with. How important is it as a skill for people to learn how to really kind of take feedback? How should they think about feedback that they're yeah. getting? It's an interesting question. I, I promote to people to ask for feedback. Get in the habit of asking for it. So when you get it, you're conditioned to receive it. You see, I think... When we're younger and we're in school, we're of school age, we're constantly getting feedback, whether we want it or not, right? And we're used to, you know, having some of those different emotions that come with it. And, but then we get to this, these immunity years where we don't allow feedback. We don't ask for it. We don't want it. We just want to go on our own and we want to run our race and do our thing. Leave me alone. And then when we get feedback, we're shocked. When it's good feedback, we light up like a Christmas tree because we're not used to getting that. Mm-hmm. And when it's bad, we shut down and we don't want it. Now you're no longer my friend. I'm going to go over here where it's more pleasant with this person. Yeah, and we get defensive, right? We get defensive. But what I've learned for myself is, number one, to ask for it. And number two, when someone gives you poor feedback, sit with it and be real with yourself and say, hey, is it true? Maybe it's true. Let me pretend that it is true. And what would I do differently? How could I use it again as a chance to polish up my game and get myself better and better? And it, it's a hard thing to do just because we're, I, I believe we're not used to getting feedback in general anymore. And now today when we do get it, it's 90% negative and 10% positive. That's the way the world is conditioned. And that's the way most workforces and negative cultures in the workforce are conditioned. We have a negative culture and all we do is give out negative feedback. And I wonder why I have a negative culture. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that's also the spirit of where that feedback comes from, right? If my heart is to really encourage you, to lift you up, to help you become a, the best version of yourself, well, how about this? If it comes from a place of love, which is, you know what, I care more about you and your development and where you want to go than maybe how you feel about me. Yep. That way I can actually give it from a right place. But Dana, I want to thank you because that story, I noticed my son and I, I mean, 16 now, he's six foot I don't know what, six foot five, 220. Wow. like a big, nice, big boy. Nice profile. Yeah, he's a big boy. Uh, but anyway, we had an interaction the other day where he got defensive and guess what I did? And I'm, I'm supposed to be the guru at all this. I did the same thing. Yeah. And I heard about your story. And I think sometimes, especially with other people, is having a story to start with. So I shared with him your story. Hmm, thank and you. Exactly what Jeter said to you and how you responded. And then I started. I said, Matthew, you know what? That defensiveness that I showed when we had this interaction, it was my insecurity and I was really vulnerable. And I said, here's where I think that came from. 
Hmm. And I shared with him and I said, Hey, would you, I want to really get better in that area with you and I, because our relationship is so important. Would you hold me accountable? Will you help me with that? And he did. So once he was engaged and I said, Hey, what do you think was the reason that you reacted that way? And we were able to get to a place with some things I think he'd been working on that we've never gotten before. So I want to thank you for that. And I just look back on it. It was telling a story, me sharing first and being vulnerable and inviting him into a conversation. Now, I also had to know that if he didn't want to participate in that mo at that time, that, you know what, I wasn't going to force it. Yeah. You, you had to be okay with it. And, and I, okay I thought with it. The, the reason that it, it went well was because I, and when I talked to companies today about dealing with the younger generation, they're collaborators more. Yeah. So we come from a dictatorship era. I'm the leader. I tell you what to do. You question it. You're out of here. Today, they want to collaborate. They want to be involved in the process. They want to be involved from start to finish. So that worked really well there. Yeah. So thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for the application. Absolutely. And, you know, in that, in your comments right there, you mentioned that we're in this world of constant feedback. And maybe that does come from people being willing to collaborate in these newer generations. One of the things you mentioned in your book is the importance of off days. And in this environment of constant feedback, how important are off days to create a margin so that we might be able to listen to other people, listen to that still small voice and those things? Yeah, I think for so many today, the, each day collides with the other and it starts to create more of a blend. Mm. So we got to be careful because we start to bring, uh, you know, yesterday's dirty laundry into today and we just keep it paying it forward in that way. So I think it's really important. Take that day. And I, I struggle with it too, just, you know, having the, the phone and all that. Yeah. But we have to start to create space between our days and we have to create boundaries. And I call them goalposts. We have to have a starting goalpost for the day. We have to have an ending goalpost for the day. Between that, we work. We work hard. We work focused. We can use our tech. We got to, you know, we, we engage. Mm -hmm. But when I'm outside of that, I got to go much more primal, you know, pens, pads, you know, keep the lights down, you know, just unwind and allow your brain to, to recharge itself and regenerate so you can be fresh to receive feedback, you know, to take on your day and to challenge yourself. If you're exhausted and fatigued, you can't challenge yourself and there's no way you can create any version of yourself but a bad version. Yeah, and I, I think you just gave us a, a tool right there. And that was interesting. I'd never heard anyone say this before, that during the day, in between the goalposts, as you say it, your devices are on and all those kinds of things. But then you just said primal, and you're taking out a pen and paper. Is that a technique you're using and you're putting Yeah, I, I, I do. I, I have, um, you know, I try to write in, in this. I, I'm like a scribe, you know, I write in here as opposed to, you know, going and doing my – I have some things that I do – on Google Docs and such, but for the most part, this is kind of where I, I live in that more of that primal space, you know, after certain times. That's awesome. Yeah. I like primal. I don't think my son is going to like when I say, hey, after 9 p.m., we're going primal. <laughs> yeah. We're unplugging. But I think, uh, you know, actually, we talked about him that last week. So, Dana, how do people find you, connect you, get your book? Help us. Uh, yeah. So, a book, like every other book, is on, uh, it's on Amazon. Habits of a Champion, and then I'm available, DanaCavalier.com. I do a, a daily blog that I love to write uh, about all this stuff, mindset, physicality. You know, I blend in, you know, different events that are going on in the world and different events that are going on in sports, et cetera. So 
I'm, I'm there, Real Coach D on Instagram, Dana Cavalier on Twitter, but you can get all that through danacavalier.com. And it's C-A-V-A-L-E-A. Yep. In case anybody's driving around, uh, the links will be in the show notes right there in the podcast episode. I like that. The real coach D. (laughs) (laughs) So, Hey, uh, Dana, thank you so much for your time and what you're doing, man. Uh, it's so important right now. And, you know, just as we wrap up, you know, especially maybe because we've kind of really spoken so much to, I think, uh, leaders out there right now. Uh, if you were just speaking to, let's say a group of, you know, high school athletes, Hmm. right? Because so many people in our audience are parents and we're saying like, how do we really bring, you know, these folks up, whether it's physically, athletically, academically, spiritually, you know, to that place that God designed them to operate. You know, what, if you were just speaking to a group of, you know, a couple hundred high school students in an auditorium, what would be just a couple points to just leave with us as we kind of wrap up? Yeah, well, where, where I come from in the Northeast, I see a lot of people pushing their kids to do things that the kids don't want to do. So first I'd ask the kids, what is it that you want to do and why, right? And if you're not doing that or you're being pushed to do something else, you also have to have the courage to stand up and say for yourself what it is that you want to do, what you're field called to do and what you're designed to do. That, that you have to have the confidence you know, within yourself to have that conversation with a parent. And you may upset your parent because your parent may have a dream for you but you got to make sure you have a dream for yourself and that you honor that dream for yourself. And that dream will keep you motivated for life while it's in front of you and while you still have it. So don't let anybody steal your dream from you. Don't let anybody strip your vision from you. And oftentimes your dreams and your visions will be judged by others as, you know, crazy. And that's how you can also know that you're headed in the right direction and that you're challenging <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm really big on vision for kids and I'm really big on them going after what they are passionate about and what they're excited about. That's coming from within. That's an inside out goal as opposed to, you know, just following the path. That's a great thought. Keith, any final thoughts from you? Oh, no, just a big thank you, Dana. I just really thank enjoyed you. our time together. Um, and I'm going to I'm going to try to connect with you outside of outside of here as well to uh, just continue our conversations around the game and around building leaders up. Awesome. I appreciate that. All right. Thanks, Dana. Thanks, guys.